all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I want to welcome everybody to this nice, wet, cold fall day today. But, uh, hey, we are going to warm up the airwaves for you today by giving you some good information, as always. And that's based on your calls. Do want to encourage people to call early. We've been doing that and had a lot more uh, callers. I got one uh, popping up on the board right now. It's always uh, frustrating. Uh, I'm a little disappointed um, when I can't get to all the phone calls. And a lot of times people will call in with about 15 minutes left. And um, it's much easier to get in if you go ahead and call early. So please do that. The number that you can call to reach us this morning with your health care question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. So uh, a lot of stuff going on in the news. Of course, uh, flu season has started now. We're starting to see a little bit of flu. Uh, it is not too early to get your flu vaccine. Common question that people ask all the time, hey, is it too early? I know it's just October. Actually, it's been uh, available for almost a month now. Um, and certainly looks like it's matched up pretty well for our current flu season. A lot of people are also saying, hey, I got the flu vaccine. I feel terrible. What's going on? Did I get the flu from it? You can't get the flu from the flu vaccine. So that's an impossibility just because it's not a live virus. It's not something that you can catch from that flu vaccine. What's happening is your body's immune system is doing what it would normally do to help recognize those flu particles uh, of that killed virus, uh, and uh, basically it's saying, hey, we are going to mount up a, a an immune response to this. So uh, that's where that uh, sort of soreness or achy feeling or just not feeling good or maybe even a low-grade fever, that's your body saying, hey, we recognize this, and we're going uh, to ramp up the immune system so that next time we see it, we can really do some damage to it. So uh, I would advise you to do that today. Certainly just about everybody needs that. And it's Even if you're a healthy person, just think about if you did get the flu, you may not have a bad case of it. But if you gave it to somebody else who has a lot of chronic uh, illnesses or other things that are going on with them, it might be uh, something that could really affect them in a negative way. So not not just for protecting yourself, but for protecting other people around you. All right, let's go to Anna this morning from Oxford. Good morning, Anna. Uh, good morning. Um, I have, uh, I, I've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes since about 05. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not overweight, never was overweight, <laughs> I, even though I did lose 
10 to 15 pounds. Um, and now, increasingly in the last couple of years, I've had very bad dry mouth at night. <clears throat> in fact, it wakes me up in the middle of the night. I, I did talk, uh, I emailed Biotene and explained to them that their product only lasts for four hours when I would like to have six to eight hours sleep. <laughs> okay. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's becoming worse and worse and worse, and it, um, it does wake me up. And secondly, um, my doctor says this is normal, but um, I inject Lantus, uh-huh. and over the past two or three years, I've noticed an increase um, belly fat, let's call it that, what it is. And um, even though I jog five days a week, I exercise every day, and I go to the gym uh, two weeks, two days a week for a couple of hours. So I, I'm, you know, I'm doing the right things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to know um, what problems I, you know, what's happening, and um, should I see an endocrinologist? Sure, uh, Anna. Let me ask you something too. Do you do you know what your A1C is? Your hemoglobin A1C. Uh, last time, I think it was around seven, 6.97. Okay. Okay. That helps a little bit. So, uh, first question about dry mouth and, uh, what's going on there. There can be a diff- a lot of different things going on. So, you know, normally your salivary glands in your mouth help to produce a lot of, uh, saliva to help lubricate things. And, uh, certainly if you, uh, if you're not producing enough of it or if it's drying out, it could be several things going on. Uh, number one, it is a fairly common uh, complaint uh, with uh, in patients who have diabetes, either type 1 or type 2, um, and it can be related to different fluid shifts. The reason I ask about an A1C, that's an average blood sugar reading, uh, so it's a way that we measure that over the last, the previous three months. Um, for those of you who don't have diabetes or are not familiar with that. And that's Anna's got some pretty good control. So less than 7 would be considered good control. Uh, you know, six point five, less than 6.5 is, is very tight. Um, but um, even in those ranges, sometimes you can have fluid shifts to the point where it's almost like, in, well, you can have sort of signs of dehydration. If you've ever been mildly dehydrated or moderately dehydrated, you know that you, you your mouth feels sort of tacky. And that may be one cause. It's one of the more common causes in type 2 diabetics just because uh, the way that your body gets rid of excess blood sugar is in the urine. But when it goes into the urine, it takes water with it. Um, Now, typically, I didn't ask this, but Anna, are you up going to the bathroom at night too? No. Okay. All right. So that's a little unusual for that. The other thing would be other other things that might be going on in the mouth itself. Now, anybody who has diabetes, uh, that's, uh, you know, you can have other endocrine disorders that sometimes go along with that. So other abnormalities of the endocrine system or even uh, changes in the mouth itself just because of the increased sugar concentration in your bloodstream. And again, even if you're controlled, I mean, a A1C, hemoglobin A1C of 6.5 to 7, that's still, you know, somewhere around 130, five uh, for an average blood sugar. So it's, it's still a little bit elevated. Um, it, you, you might want to talk, if you do see an endocrinologist, which that's, you know, an expert in the area of uh, diabetes and other endocrine disorders, uh, that they may want to see about getting you a little bit more tightly regulated 
maybe even push the A1C down a little bit more, and that might uh, help that out. There are a couple of different tests to look at the actual, to sort of quantitate how much saliva that you're producing. Well, the dentist said it might be something to do with the medications. Yeah, that is... Uh, I mean, I take lovastatin and um, enalapril. Enalapril, yeah. So uh, both of those don't have a whole lot of... Uh, is the enalapril, does it have a diuretic in, in with it, or is it just by itself? Just by itself. Okay. Uh, yeah, those two are not big ones, but certainly that brings up a great point that medications can, uh, you know, sometimes go along with a, with a dry mouth like that. Well, the dentist also said, because I go regularly, mm-hmm. um, he said that... At night, your salivary glands um, shut down. Right. If they didn't, mm-hmm. you you know, you drown in the night, right. basically. Um, but mine obviously are shutting down just like too much. Yep. Yeah, and and there's not unfortunately there's not it, the things we just talked about is probably the first step is to try to find out okay what is causing this if anything and if you can't find anything. It, at that point, it's sort of hard because there's not too many things besides direct stimulation of those glands and, you know, what you eat and things that you take. They just don't last that long because of that body's normal rhythm of shutting down those glands at night. So uh, that's a little bit harder to deal with other than just having something that you, you know, spray in your mouth yeah. right there at your bedstand. Well, I, I have noticed, too, that um, my... Um I, I t- test my blood at night, then in the morning, mm-hmm. and I've noticed. Um, and I test. Uh, let's see. I have dinner around five thirty because I'm old, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I test my blood around uh, nine thirty ten o'clock. Uh-huh. And I've noticed that uh, my blood sugar is higher at that time. But next morning, I'm fine. I'm around seventy five, eighty, sometimes eighty four. Um, so. I would so that may be the reason why you're having that because if it's higher later in the day uh, before you go to bed, mm-hmm. that's probably causing enough fluid shifts that you might have dry mouth during that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I would now it, you know you can change. There's different ways to treat it. Um, uh, you know, even if you if you split up some of the insulin, sometimes that can help or change to a different insulin. Certainly, Lantus is a very long acting insulin. And it's, it's, it's a great, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad therapy for, for type 2 diabetes, but there may be some other things that you can do, too, to treat it that might have a little bit smoother yeah, blood sugar. I have no, no idea why I was given that versus given metformin. Yeah, that's a little odd. And you mentioned belly fat, and that's uh, certainly a little bit of weight gain anytime any kind of insulin. Once you do insulin therapy, you can expect a little bit of weight gain. Uh, different distribution patterns are common, uh, belly fat or, or around the middle more than in other places or more symmetrically. That's a common side effect, too. Um, so, I, yeah, you might want to talk to them about why you're not on metformin because that, that might cause a little bit of the weight loss, particularly the, yeah, you know. Well, my, my doctor in the beginning um, said that uh, she wanted to put me on one of the newer therapies. Uh-huh. And so I was put on um, something which pushed the, the um, I guess, what, what would be the, called insulin in, into your um, cells. Uh-huh. Okay. And that didn't work. And then she said, well, let's give you the Lantus with the same thing. It was some Japanese thing. I can't remember what it was called. Uh-huh. And um, my blood sugar just didn't seem to go down. And so I just stopped the Japanese one and just used the... The, uh, insu- yeah. the Lantus, and it worked fine, okay? Yeah. Uh, but now I've noticed uh, it's increasing. 
Yeah. I mean, my blood sugar levels are increasing. I only go once a year because I think of it as a profit center. So, <laughs> Well, uh, it, it is while you're getting, you know, control of it, usually three months, every three months. No, I, no, I, I go once a year. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, I'm not sure why they didn't choose metformin in your case because that's sort of standard first-step yeah. therapy for that. So, yeah. And it might take care of both those problems, honestly, because it may be a little bit smoother. You can take it twice a day, and it's not that... It's not that big a problem. Even it, would, these, it, would it be okay to take it and uh, stop the Atlantis and take the metformin? Or oh, maybe yeah. I should see the endocrinologist uh, first? Uh, th- that might probably be your best bet. Um, that, but, I, yeah, you can if, – if you were my patient, I would probably at this point say let's just stop the insulin and uh, start the metformin the next day because if your A1Cs are where they are, that, that should be able to control that mm-hmm. with, just with the metformin alone. Yeah, I will find out uh, um, at the end of this month what my A1C really is, but right. I just go by, you know, yeah. um, when I test myself. So Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Anna, and okay. uh, good luck to you. But, uh, yeah, endocrinologists might be a person to see just because they're the experts in that area. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. This is uh, Southern Remedy. The number to call if you would like to ask us a question this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can always send an email if you're not able to uh, reach us by phone. Maybe it's uh, in between programs. You can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go to Scott from Jackson and Mary from Collierville. And plenty of time for your calls right after this break. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning on this fine October morning. And uh, got some good calls already and looking forward to your calls this morning. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Scott in Jackson. Good morning, Scott. Yes, hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, back in, um, well, I started losing weight probably back in December of last year, and I finally treated by an uh, Indian cardiologist in July of this year. I did radioactive iodine and currently taking Levo uh, 375. Um, gained my, I gained my weight back and doing fine. I feel excellent. Uh, is it okay if I get a flu shot? I'm sorry, what was that last question? Is it okay if I get a flu shot? 
Yeah, I, unless you there's there's very few reasons why you can't get a flu shot these days. Um, now, a true allergy to the flu vaccine or any of the components is a big one. Uh, uh-huh. There are certain other situations, but honestly, uh, you know, from what you just said, how old are, are you, Scott? Forty-nine. Yeah, you 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 you'd probably qualify for that. So, and the good thing about it is these days you don't have to go to a physician's office to get it. You can present yourself to the, you know, to the a pharmacy or uh, you know anywhere like that that could uh, that gives out uh, uh, medication and vaccines, and they'll they'll be able to give you one. But I I would say yes, just for the reasons we mentioned earlier. It's just it's a good idea if you've ever had the flu a true you know case of the flu it is not something that you want to go through a lot of time off from work or from the things that you like to do and certainly if you have anybody who has a weakened immune system around you you'd you'd want to help protect them too okay thank you thank right. sure thanks for calling yeah, always a, a good thing. I've gotten my flu shot. Got it a couple of weeks ago. And I did have, you know, full disclosure, I did have some aches and pains the next day. And um, it's just one of those, you know, side effects that you can have. I did not have the flu, but uh, my body, my immune system is saying, yes, we see that. We recognize that. And we're going to uh, definitely recognize it when it comes again. All right, let's go to Mary from Collierville. Good morning, Mary. Uh, good morning. Thanks I for. Need to turn my. Oh uh, yeah, probably turn the radio down. It, it, sometimes you can get some feedback there. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was just wanting to comment on that lady who called in a couple minutes ago about dry mouth. The mm-hmm. lady with the. Right. Go ahead, Mary. Oh yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. I just wanted to comment about that lady who um, who called in with diabetes and dry mouth. Right. Um, I have a tendency to sleep on my back, and when I do, I sleep with my mouth open, and that dries my mouth out. But if I sleep on my side or my stomach, I sleep with my mouth closed, and I don't get it. So it may not have anything to do with her diabetes or medication at all. Yeah. Yeah, the the way you sleep, you're exactly right. I mean, it can uh, certainly if you leave your mouth open for long periods of time, that can uh, dry your mouth out significantly, where you're not able to keep up with it, and certainly change in position can do that. I did. I should mention there's a couple of other things too: uh, Sjogren syndrome or other Sika syndrome. So those are autoimmune uh, uh, conditions that frequently present with dry mouth and that's a little bit different i mean those are really dry situations but yeah mary i I agree like sometimes you uh if your nose is stopped up and you're a mouth breather or different ways that you sleep at night certainly that can make a big difference sometimes even dental appliances i know a lot of dentists have uh this is an area with uh, sleep uh, related disorders that they're able to help out just with some things that you can wear at night that can um, align your mouth a little bit better so that you're you're able to close it. Um, and again, there there are a couple of medications, uh, particularly if you've got one of those autoimmune causes. Uh, typically not used in in other conditions, but polycarpine is one, and uh, oh goodness, civilamine uh, 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 is another one that's been used for for a long time. And mechanical stimulation, of course, if you're asleep, you don't you probably don't need to be chewing gum or anything like that, but uh, do appreciate that, Mary. You know, if sleep, uh, maybe if you can prop yourself up sideways, that might help. Right. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. 
All right, let's go to George in uh, somewhere in Mississippi. Good morning, George. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. Sure. I am taking a antibiotic, Clendamson HCL 300 milligrams, three of those per day for infection I have on my leg. Uh-huh. Uh, should I, is it okay for me to take a flu shot while I'm taking that antibiotic? Yeah, that shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem at all. It's a... Uh, uh, if you if you're undergoing antibiotic therapy for anything, uh, severe infections and there's not really you know a way to discern okay what's a severe infection. For instance, if you were hospitalized for this uh, and and you know your blood pressure was low, you were in the ICU. That that would be what I would you know uh, uh, characterize as a severe infection. Those people probably don't need to get it. But again, I you know looking at uh, different studies on on who got flu shots when and some of the problems they had or versus no problems. There's really not a whole lot of problems getting it while you're being treated for something like that. Is that like a skin infection that you're getting treated for? Uh, yes, it was yeah. ingrowing hair on my leg. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and I let it go, let it go, let it go, and. Uh, I got fussed at real good by my son, who's a wound care doctor, and he's been Uh-oh. treating it for probably week three now. Yeah. So if you got cellulitis like that, um, and yeah, it should be it should be no problem getting it. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck to you, George. It's no fun getting stuff like that. Uh, uh, and then, then you end up, I usually, the few times that I've had things like that happen to me, and I am a stubborn patient, by the way, for the, those of you out here who are wondering, like uh, doctors are can be some of the worst patients. Uh, but um, you just sort of look in the mirror and you're like, why did I let myself get this far along? This is Southern Remedy, and we are addressing your health care questions this morning. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Turmeric is a spice that uh, a lot of people take for a number of reasons, and uh, it's been touted to uh, cure lots of different things from chronic pain to uh, help with diabetes. Not a whole lot of evidence there, but a lot of people do do use that. Uh, I thought it was interesting, just running through the news, did see an article about uh, turmeric out of Bangladesh. And if you know, turmeric is a pretty bright uh, yellowish-orange color, and unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of distributors from um, from uh, Bangladesh are putting lead chromate, which is uh, certainly can enhance that color. The problem is it has lead in it, and lead is uh, certainly poisonous, uh, so it's a neurotoxin and uh, can cause just a lot of problems. So you can get lead poisoning from that, so you do want to watch out. Um, again, a lot of things that you take over the counter or uh, that are supplements uh, can be pretty bad for you, depending on what's in it. Uh, so certainly turmeric by in and of itself is not a problem, but you just don't know what you're getting in there. And a lot of people are trying to uh, to increase the, the yellow pigments in it to make it look uh, more bright and vibrant uh, so that people can uh, will buy it. But um, you certainly can get uh, some some lead exposure from some of those. So just be careful with that. Don't want anybody to get that, and that can sort of sneak up. If you're taking something like that and you do have side effects, you want to make sure that your doctor um, uh, is aware of that. It's always a good idea, you know, if your doctor asks you what medications you're taking and they don't explicitly ask for any supplements, make sure that you um, 
uh, are giving those supplements to them so that they'll sort of know what's going on. Because a lot of things that can affect you. Uh, we're talking about vaccines a little bit. This is interesting, too. So one of the vaccines that we've developed um, really since, uh, since I've been in practice is against one of the more common causes of diarrhea in children, and that's rotavirus. So if you have a child that uh, developed diarrhea in the first year of life, most likely it was probably a rotavirus vaccine. It's one of the co- most common ones. And uh, it can cause a lot of problems in a neonate in any any uh, age, but uh, uh, typically as you get over, older, that's not a, a, as big a player in uh, the development of diarrhea. But we now have a vaccine against that. So that's uh, if you've had a, a, a two-month-old, four-month-old, six-month-old that went to the physician for their normal vaccinations, you know that there's one in particular that is just a little bit that they'll inject in the mouth. Uh, so it's not a needle. It's a liquid that the, they actually uh, swallow. So that's the vaccine for rotavirus. And uh, interestingly enough, in populations as that we have tracked, you know, sort of what's happened with other diseases and other conditions that have developed over time, as we vaccinated against rotavirus, uh, uh, populations that have high vaccination rates actually had, they noticed that, that they had less children develop type 1 diabetes. Now, we talk a lot about type 2 diabetes uh, talked about that previously on the on the show, and today I had a caller with that. Uh, so that's usually it develops later in life. The problem is not that you have uh, you do have enough uh, um, insulin to handle the blood sugar in your bloodstream, uh, but there's a resistance to that with type two diabetes. Type one diabetes, just the opposite. You don't have enough insulin, so your body. Uh, <clears throat> actually attacks the pancreas, which is the organ which produces uh, insulin. And because of that, your body you know, just doesn't produce enough of it. So typically, this is younger patients. And we don't know all the reasons why it, some individuals develop type 1 diabetes. But we do think if you take a really good history, most of them have had a viral illness earlier in life. But there's some, uh, again, interesting results of uh, some of these observational studies looking at uh, populations that have higher rotavirus uh, vaccination rates. And it looks like it might be protective uh, against uh, developing type 1 diabetes. And it makes sense because you're exposed to a virus and your body, when it fights off that virus, uh, it uh, sometimes can mistake some of your normal tissues for, um, for that. All right, we're going to go to uh, Blanche after this uh, break. All right now, the number to call if you would like to reach us this morning is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. And i uh, got a lot of good calls already about lots of different things, but uh, we've got plenty of time for you to call in. If you'd like to reach us this morning, you can do so by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. But if you're not able to do that and you'd like to uh, send us a message, maybe it's a little bit longer or uh, maybe you can't get to the phone right now, you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, let's go to Blanche from uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, down south. How's it going, Blanche? Hi. Um, it's okay. Uh, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for calling. Okay. okay. Uh, my adult daughter is an alcoholic, hmm. and um, I have found out from her ex-boyfriend and um other friends that she's had several falls that required going to emergency room and stitches in her head, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she was not tested for concussion. And I've noticed uh, extreme changes. Well, her, her temperament is accentuated. She's very combative and uh, loud and uh, set off by the slightest thing. And uh, the problem is, I, I told her she had to see a therapist, that I would not give her any money, and she can't keep a job uh, if she didn't start seeing a therapist. And uh, she, I said, well, did you tell him about the falls? And, uh, you know, she said, and did you tell him that you're uh, an alcoholic? And she says, oh, it's situational. It's not something uh, really uh, physically wrong with me. And I can't intervene because she's an adult. Right. Uh, I I can't get her to acknowledge that she has a problem. Uh, and I think this, whatever the effects of the fall were, are, um, you know, she just can't see it. And uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, Blanche, I'm, this is heartbreaking, and it's a tough situation uh, for anybody, for a family member who's dealing with, um, uh, you know, somebody who... Uh, isn't in a situation where they can make the right choices for themselves that they need to make. It, it sounds like you are trying to do, you know, to direct her in the best uh, way that you can. Uh, certainly everything you said uh, holds true with trying to get help. Uh, I, there are a couple of things, though, that you mentioned that, um, you know, particularly with the the uh, falls and the personality changes, repetitive trauma can cause that. So if you have... You know, we know now that if the the more head injuries you have over time, that can certainly cause a lot of problems uh, with your cognition, with the way that you interact with people. But alcoholism itself uh, can have a big effect on that. And it's not just the direct, um, you know, effects of the alcohol on brain tissue. There's a couple of things that can go along with that. So it's it's fairly common in heavy drinkers, uh, of alcohol that you, you have certain deficiencies of, uh, of vitamins and nutrients. And uh, those are, you know, the, the fat-soluble vitamins, the A, D, E, and K, 
those can all have some deficiencies. But there's one in particular that has that can uh, it, it, up to eighty percent of people who drink uh, alcohol regularly or alcoholics can have a deficiency of thiamine or vitamin B one. And the reason this is important is, you know, thiamine is it's it's beneficial for a, a lot of normal processes in the body. Uh, if you don't get enough of it, though, you can start to develop uh, peripheral neuropathy. So you can actually have some problems with the, the nerves in the, the periphery of the body uh, with how you feel things, uh, where you are in space. So we call that proprioception. So that can, you know, if it's not working appropriately, you can sometimes fall. It can also cause a, a problem with your heart from having a decrease of this. But there's one condition called Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, and uh, it is uh, it usually presents with uh, three uh, components to it. So one is delirium, and delirium just means you're a little bit confused. You're not oriented to things at time at times, and it can sort of come and go. Uh, you can have oculomotor abnormalities. So those are problems with your eyes, uh, with movement of the eyes, and uh, you can have uh, double vision uh, and ataxia, which is an unsteady gait. So because this is so common. Uh, in uh, in individuals with alcoholism, uh, and you're having frequent falls, I would be suspicious about that. Um, you know, you don't have to get tested to take this. You know, a, a, at the very least, since you're you know really dealing with okay, what can I do? Uh, a vitamin supplement, particularly in B vitamins, would be extremely important. Uh, and, and certainly stopping drinking is the biggest thing, but if you're, if, if it's causing this many problems, I, I think it needs to be supervised. Uh, she probably needs to be seeing a, at least a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, uh, in a group setting and an individual setting to have the most benefit. But as you said, it's, it's very difficult to address that, but I, I would, you know, I would really try to point her in the direction of getting some medical testing where they can test for some of these deficiencies and actually see if she's deficient in those. Okay. Well, uh, it, I feel she needs to be in actual rehab, and I didn't know whether there were in Mississippi such facilities. Yeah. Yeah, no, there are. There are several around that are very good for not just for alcohol, for but other substance abuse disorders. So, uh, check into that. Um, that. You know, some of the major hospitals do that. Uh, an inpatient facility. It is limited in time, and it's always followed up successfully by outpatient treatment. Uh, there are ones that are uh, a little bit more expensive, or you you know pay a little bit more. But that's yeah. There's several around that are. Uh, most of them are associated with some of the medical. You know, if you just check out, say, Baptist or Saint Dominic. Uh, Pine Grove has one in Hattiesburg, which may be closer to you. Uh, I'm not aware of any in Biloxi. There probably are, though. Uh, I feel certain there probably are some around the coast. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you for that information. I'll get her on a good B vitamin and thiamine. All right. Thank you, Blanche, and thanks for uh, sharing that with us, and uh, good luck to you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Jimmy. Okay. Tough situation, and it is so frustrating to... uh, try to give good advice to people who don't, you know, want to take that. And uh, as a physician, that's frustrating. But as a family member, it's even more frustrating. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of discussions with family members uh, and their patients in the room together about that. And it's uh, it can be very difficult to try to 
point them in the right direction to get them the help that they need. This is Southern Remedy. Uh, plenty of time for you to call in if you'd like to reach us this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, getting older, you know, as you get older, what are some of the things that go along with healthier living? In other words, Are there any kind of activities that we can do or that are associated with living healthier as we age? Certainly most people don't mind getting older as long as they can stay active and enjoy the things that they uh, normally like to do. So there's a new study uh, out of uh, Duke University uh, where they looked at about 900 individuals to sort of tease out certain activities that were associated with healthier living. And they looked at 45-year-olds as they got older and and tried to to look for some of the things. Interesting that uh, people who tended to walk more slowly at age 45 and up, uh, they had signs of premature accelerated aging both physically and cognitively in the way that they thought. So very interesting. So the faster you go, uh, the faster you walk, though that is associated, uh, even at a younger age, that's associated with uh, not having as many uh, negative effects as you grow older. So it's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, and this is based on a number of things. So they looked at MRI scans of uh, slow walkers at age 45, and noticed that they had smaller brain volume, uh, more cortical thickening. The cortex is the outer portion of the brain uh, that, um, that controls a lot of the processes. So it was thinner in these individuals. Uh, and uh, just a lot of changes that go along with premature aging, even at age 45. And it may not be, you may not can tease those out with cognitive testing or those kinds of things, um, but it seems to uh, to go along with that. So walk faster. I guess that uh, we can't say that that's going to totally protect you, but certainly those people who walk faster tend to uh, not have as many of those problems as they age. So very interesting uh, research there and looking at that. Everybody's always looking for things that they can do, and we like to to give those things out to try to get you to uh, to be healthier as you age. So speaking of that, too, so should memory test, what should we do uh, with development of this? A lot of people say, well, you know, there's a lot of different things out there. When we have at UMC, we have the Mind Center, which uh, frequently I'll have patients that go there for neurocognitive testing. So they'll do a battery of tests. And there is some um, in the news or some you know, questioning of should we specifically look at things from a male and a female standpoint? In other words, a lot of the scoring systems for verbal memory tests, uh, for instance, can be different if you look at females versus males. And sometimes that can be off as much as 20%. So there is some evidence that that's a little bit different uh, and that we need to uh, look at uh, changing some of those methods and doing that. You might want to ask your physician uh, to refer you to uh, a neurocognitive uh, center if there is a you know any kind of question about that. Uh, about your your loss of uh, your memory uh, so that you can get a little bit. Uh, there are some a lot of screening tests that we do in the office, but beyond that, you need to, um, you need to get an expert looking at things. I have a, a few patients that have been in some studies, one in particular has been in a study with the NFL. He's an ex-NFL uh, player, and uh, they have a very robust uh, 
uh, database and system where they are tracking a lot of the uh, traumatic events that happen with concussions uh, in that group of people just because they've had a lot of side effects. So always a good idea if you're if you have anything like that that you uh, get some repetitive testing. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Going to take a short break. When we come back, more time for your calls and questions. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, trying to field your questions about your health or the health of others. You can reach us this morning and every Wednesday at 11. Sometimes we have different programming. We may cover some emails. Got a show coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks about that. But otherwise, we are uh, we like to take your questions live. We love for you to drive the programming of Southern Remedy on Wednesdays. So the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Sharon in Jackson. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Thanks for calling. What's what's going on with you this morning? My question is: I had the shingles in my late twenties, mm-hmm. twenty four years ago. So now I'm approaching mid fifties. Do I need the shingles vaccination? Yes. So that's a common question that people have about, like, you know, I've had it. Does that protect me from getting it again? So you have to know a little bit about how the the shingles works. So basically, shingles is varicella virus. So that's the same virus that causes chicken pox. So what happens is your body, you're exposed to chicken pox uh, in, in, uh, or to the, to the uh, chickenpox virus, and then you develop chickenpox usually first. Some people have one or two uh, little lesions that they have and then don't have it. And then later in life, that virus, did, it, it gets sort of beat down by the immune system, but it likes to hang out in nerve cells for decades. So at some point in the future, uh, after you've had chickenpox, that varicella virus comes back out, but it comes out differently. And usually that's at a time when your immune system is uh, decreased. You have another illness. you got a lot of stress in your life, whatever the reason. Uh, maybe you're being treated with a medication that can reduce your, your immune system. And if, it's, if it goes down enough and you, that, that varicella virus will come back, back out along the nerve 
uh, and that causes shingles. So it looks a lot, it looks the same most of the time as uh, the chickenpox virus uh, when you get it, uh, the, but it's, it's just along one little pathway. Now, if you've gotten shingles, that means it's still there. It just means that your body's immune system, uh, you know, fought that off. There's uh, some medication that you can take for that too. But that doesn't protect you from getting it again. In fact, a lot of people would say, you're a person, since you've already had it once, you're at risk for getting it again. And for, you know, there's no real prediction of that. But um, I would, if it were me, I would get it. You know what it was like. Uh, it's yeah. not fun to have, and it can cause a lot of problems. Uh, you can have pain for months afterwards along those nerve roots that are affected by shingles. And if it if it comes back out on your face, you can actually lose your sight from it if it's uh one of the nerve roots that's around that uh, supplies the, the nerves to the face. So, uh, Sharon, I would recommend that. I mean, most health plans do cover that now, usually somewhere between 50 and 55 years of age. And again, you can get this one. It's a weird vaccine. Most people don't carry it in their offices just because of the way that it's supplied. It's it, You have to get it at a, a pharmacy. So uh, if you're in that age range, you just present them your pharmacy card the same way you would and uh, whatever your coverage is and say, hey, I'd like to get the shingles vaccine. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Yeah, not something you want to get. I mean, it looks painful. That's one of those conditions where when you see somebody with shingles, you're like, ow, that really hurts. And uh, people will tell you they can't even, a lot of patients can't even tolerate uh, their clothes touching their skin. Or they'll say, even when I sleep at night, it's just excruciatingly painful. Uh, So not something that anybody wants to get. Let's go to Virginia in Starkville. Good morning, Virginia. Thank you for calling. Good morning. Uh, when I was, I, I am a person who's very, very nearsighted, and when I was, uh, I, they didn't realize it until I was around seven years old, and so I fell a whole lot when I was a toddler mm-hmm. and hit hit my head a whole lot, and I wondered. I have ADD, and I wonder if. If all of those head blows could have contributed to my ADD. So we don't know a whole lot about uh, attention deficit disorder and and sort of what puts you at risk for it and who's you know most at risk. We do know it runs in families. There are some genetic studies that have looked at you know that that people are uh, more likely to get it. You're about as you know if you look at uh, at twin studies. Uh, there's a high likelihood if one twin, you know, gets developed uh, ADD uh, over time, they're, they're, um, you know, the other twin would have it. And a lot of people would say you can even look at early changes in brain structure and function and you can diagnose somebody very early. So it may be something that we're born with. That being said, though, any kind of changes in the brain itself and head trauma is one of those. You're just changing the architecture, the anatomy of those brain cells uh, repetitive trauma does that from any any source, and I, it could it could have you know you may have had either uh, a preponderance to develop ADD and maybe that sort of tipped you over the edge. It's hard to say that you know just to point your finger at any one thing just because we don't we don't it's just not the way ADD works and uh, we still don't understand all of those things. But <clears throat> certainly structural changes in the brain from head trauma. Uh, could uh, could cause you to be more susceptible to getting it. So that's a possibility. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. 
This is uh, Southern Remedy, the number to call if you have a question. We've got probably time for one or two more calls. You can uh, reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you'd like to send an email to us, you can always reach us by emailing remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, let's go to William in Starkville. Good morning, William. Uh, good morning. Uh, I, I've got a quick comment and a question about uh, uh, um, shingles. A friend of mine's uh, wife here in Starkville got shingles in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it attacked her eye. She not only lo- uh, lost her sight, but she lost her eye. Oh. And uh, that it can be, that's the worst case I've ever come across. I wanted to ask, is there any tendency that, uh, that susceptibility to shingles is genetically uh, influenced because I have never heard of anybody in my family, and we live, uh, got a pretty long-lived uh, uh, um, uh, family, relatives, and I just wondered if there's any tendency for, for uh, genetics to, to have an influence on your susceptibility. I, you know, William, I'm not aware of any one study that looked particularly about the genetics around that. But, I, you know, having said that, genetics influences all, a lot of stuff, about 80 yeah. percent. You know, if you check, if you just say, OK, let's just pick one thing like intelligence or um, or your physical ability sure. or your, you know, cardiovascular disease. Uh, you know, about 80, 60 to 80 percent of that's determined by that. And then there's a lot of, you know, certainly environmental factors. But because uh, getting shingles is tied most of the time to your immune system response, there's certainly genetic variations in that. So, yeah, your family uh-huh. may just have particularly its immune response to that virus may be a little bit stronger in your family that helps sort of keep that at bay. Um, and I'm assuming y'all probably got, you know, just age-wise, you'll probably got chicken pox when you're a kid, right? Oh, did we lose you, William? Not sure what happened there. Hey, yeah, most people, you know, uh, at my age, so we're right around 50 and, and younger, did have uh, exposure to uh, to chicken pox. So uh, that certainly sort of primes the pump for that virus being there. But you can certainly live your whole life. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there that were exposed when they were younger, and they're never going to get shingles. But again, you know, as William said, you can have that... Uh, all it takes is that one time, and there's no way to predict who's going to have the worst outcome uh, like those ocular findings. You, it can even uh, affect your brain tissue, too, as, and, you know, depending on your immune system. And who knows what's going to happen in the future uh, you know, as we get older. So I'd advise everybody that, uh, that can to get that shingles vaccine. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell, who was also double-timing, I think, most of the time as our call screener. want to thank him for that. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday for uh, at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.